Hi there, and welcome to Third Sector Success 101, the podcast from Third Sector Network with me, your host, Joe Green. It's a pleasure to have you listening today, wherever you are in the world. In this particular episode, we are going to be talking about HR, that is to say human resources, specifically from the point of view of charity and third sector organisations. And joining me to talk about this subject is the excellent Kareen Joseph, who as well as being a long-standing HR professional, has done great work with the charity Beauty for Ashes Refuge. In this episode, we're going to be talking about what we mean by HR, how HR professionals can help any charity, and particularly how HR professionals can help smaller to medium charities who maybe to date haven't had a HR professional involved with their day-to-day work. So with no further ado, let's get started and meet Corinne. Hi Corinne, welcome to the podcast. Thanks ever so much for coming along. Would you like to introduce yourself to our listeners and tell us a little bit about the uh, charity that you work for? Hi, um, my name is Karine Joseph. I am the Madam Chair for Beauty for Ashes Refuge. Um, We are based in Greater Manchester and we basically are a charity that's supporting migrant women with no recourse to public funds, migrant women and children. Right, okay, and and I think to be honest, I actually have some familiarity with what you mean by no recourse to public funds. Many, many, many moons ago, more years than I care to mention, I worked for the Department of Work and Pensions and I and I processed benefits claims. And a lot of the people that I dealt with were, I did the more complex ones, were people who their, their immigration status was was this, that or the other. And, you know, they mm. came in to see whether they were eligible. So I'm very familiar with that. But just for the benefit of anyone who maybe has no experience whatsoever to the benefit system, in, in a very basic sense, what do we mean by no recourse to public funds? Well, basically, um, and the women that we will be supporting, they may have insecure immigration status. Um, so non recourse public funds that they won't be they won't be entitled to funds that like the housing benefits, um, like maternity, just funds which are which are basically from the from the public really. The the kind of things most of us take for granted will be there if we need. Yeah, them. the most things we take for granted, I'm afraid. Um, and I think that to be to be honest, this, this is the sort of sad state of affairs. There's, I think, this false perception in, in in the country, you know, and in certain branches of the media and things that people who come to this country get all the money they need. But of course, there's a lot of people who come to this country <laughs> and, and get an basically illusion. nothing. <laughs> it's an illusion because I mean, yeah. I mean, our founder Becky, um, Becky Barlow, she worked at a refuge, and she was shocked of how many women and children were being turned away from the refuge due to immigration status. And so she decided to do something about it. Um, basically, women are being forced into impossible choices um, after trying to leave domestic abusive relationships or marriages, um, you know, trying to flee physical and emotional harm um, or returning to the country where, there's, where they have no roots or they're at risk of further harm. So, yeah, yeah so, um, so it was Becky and I, we volunteered for a charity called Press Red, and that's where we met. And she told me about a vision. Um, and then, yeah, 2020, we started on the path. And now, tomorrow, we've got our launch, our official launch tomorrow. Oh, brilliant <laughs> stuff. And what, and what are you doing for the launch? Um, yeah, so basically, we are just having a launch in terms of just celebrating all those that supported us during the journey, because we did a lot of it during lockdown. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we set up a charity during lockdown. We had to do all the paperwork and the funding and the, applying for staff. And um, 
we had some we got donors um to help us and the building as well because the we're coming to the end of the six bedroom refuge and um, that's due to open spring so it's just our way of saying thank you so we've got tea parties and caribbean food being cooked and mm. yeah the chance to put our tools down for a day <laughs> well deserved well deserved now corinne we've invited you on to talk about something quite specific and that is um hr human resources and you you are a hr person for want of a better phrase you know the person to talk to about that now i think most people if you said to them um you know what's hr they'd go oh well that's human resources and I think mm -hmm. to some extent, people's knowledge is, is probably a bit broader than that, because most people who have been employed in their life will have had some experience dealing with a HR professional. But I think, to be honest, for a lot of people, their understanding of what a HR professional is doesn't go much further than it's the person you talk to if you've got any issues with your job. Which, which is, I'm sure, a big part of what a HR professional does. <laughs> but, 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 but it's not all a HR professional. So from your point of view, what is what you know in a very basic boiled down version what what is a hr professional from your point of view from my point of view a hr professional is a professional that manages that you know what it's making the most of your assets which is your people yeah a lot of people believe that just hr is about disciplinaries and grievances and it's not yeah. that at all i mean i at the at, in my day job, I'm a global executive HR project specialist. So I work on a lot of specialist HR projects for the public, private and voluntary sector. So we, we don't just focus on discipline and grievances. We also look at um, organisation development, making sure that the staff are reaching their true potential. That's the main goal. Our yeah. staff in their true potential. I think I think this is the thing. I think perhaps the perception is HR's there to deal with stuff when it goes wrong. Whereas from the HR point of view, it's like, no, 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 no. no. We do deal with that, but what, what we really want to do is be there to help everyone make things go right, go well. You know, yeah, that's exactly it. That's exactly it. <laughs> I suppose you know, it's sort of similar to the fire service. The fire service would say, no, we're not just there to put out fires, we're to help people not Set fires. <laughs> <laughs> fire. <laughs> that's, that, that's what a HR professional, you know, is in its basic in its basic sense. Now, you don't need me to tell you that an awful lot of charities out there don't have a HR professional. You know, well, you know, maybe they're just um, you, know, you know, in terms of on the payroll, you know, they might not have one because they're too small. It might be a charity with just one person, maybe two people. And they, you know, when you're just one or two people, you don't necessarily need to have what I would call a dedicated HR department. But a lot of charities have lots of staff and yet don't have yeah. they have they'll have someone who takes the lead on HR. But that person yeah, is not necessarily a trained HR professional. And likewise, and, and this is what sort of connected us when we, we spoke about you coming on, you were talking about you wanted to address perhaps, the, the, you know, the lack of HR professionals on boards and within trustees boards for charities. So why, why do you think it's important for charities specifically to have someone with professional HR experience within the organisation? I think for me is because, well, I found that I was... I was volunteering um, as a HR trustee for a charity called Communicate. And it was during the pandemic. And I um, I stepped up as chair and I realized that the skills of a chair or a trustee is quite similar to the code of conduct of a HR practitioner or a chartered HR practitioner. And for me, if you look at, before you can even look at a HR professional, we need to look at what professional leadership traits are. Yeah. And 
you know, being an excellent communicator, knowing to remain calm in stressful situations, and be respectable, you know, respectable for, you know, respect gender, race, religion, and sexuality, strong work ethic, yeah. being dependable team player, um, and deliver on promises and deadlines. All professionals yeah. need to be flexible and most importantly, honesty, integrity. And the the charity governance is very similar to the code of conduct of a HR practitioner. Yeah. And I found that having when I was on the board for Communicate, I was able to upskill the the charity manager and the volunteer yeah. manager and also the board. Because in a charity, you've got a small team. So you have to wear many hats. Yeah. No, absolutely, absolutely, yes. <laughs> and you have to make the most of your assets because sometimes in charities you may just have like one full time and and may have two part time and the rest are volunteers. So, but you know, charities are really providing such a vital service now that having a HR practitioner on the board also helps with developing the yeah. actual team to make sure that you're getting the maximum from your you know you get the maximum capacity from the board you've got you've got uh, to take this you know you've got to take this seriously haven't you like i said the, the work you're doing is serious so you need to take the oh, yeah, definitely. Exactly. You oh know, definitely i'll tell you a story I, I i did some work with a charity this is going back a bit but um they asked me to come in and, and help them with, with, with social media and uh you know and then this is this isn't identify the charity because i help a lot of charities with social media but i went in and i was like okay yeah. so, you know, you, you've come so far i was like so i was talking to the person in charge of social media and it became clear after a certain period of time to me that they didn't really know much about social media and they didn't really know what they were talking about and you know that's mm. fine that's what i was there to help them with i was like oh do you know do you, do you mind if i ask how, how you, you you know you got became the person in charge of social media and she's like oh well when we started it was just a couple of us so I just took the lead on it I was like, oh, okay and then as it went on I spoke to other members of the charity and it became clear that everyone as dedicated and passionate and as lovely and wonderful as they were everyone was in their role like I'm in charge of HR I'm in charge of social media I'm in charge of health and safety yeah because they were the person who were just willing to pick up the can with it sort of at the beginning and it, <laughs> always, and it always stayed with them and I was and I was and I was like in my head this charity has now got a turnover of six million pounds a year. You know, this is the equivalent of a really like medium-sized company. You've got yes. 20 to 30 employees. And the person who was doing social media had never done a course in their life. And although I didn't do much work with the HR person, it became clear that the person who was doing HR, the, the only professional qualifications they had to do it was they'd done a couple of online courses at some point. And I think they'd watched some yeah. YouTube videos. And I oh yes, we love a YouTube. We love a YouTube video. <laughs> exactly. I think it was kind of like you know. So someone comes in to see them and say, you know, and I don't, I'm not meaning to be glib about a serious subject, but it was kind of like I'm being bullied in the workplace. Just only one second, Google YouTube video bullying in the workplace. What do I do? And it was it was kind of that approach, if you know what I mean. Which is you know is 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 it, it, I don't want to go, I don't want to say it's like common in the charity sector as if like oh yeah everyone's like that, but it's not uncommon. It's not uncommon. Yeah. The person, I think, who takes the lead with HR in a charity is simply the person who was the first... Well, the first time they took on a salaried worker... Well, I'll tell you what, I'll take responsibility for talking out the salaries each month. Right, you're now our HR head of HR. And it, it's... I, I think... That professionalism... You, you know, you said like at the beginning, what is what we're talking about with professional? That professionalism is key. 
what would you say? So eventually comes to a question. Um, what would you say makes a good HR person then? So, you know, I'm not suggesting it's just about the certificates and the qualifications. What makes a good HR professional for a charity, for example, as opposed to an average? What makes a good HR professional for a charity is un it's the governance. Yeah. Because it's we have to manage commercial risks in a yeah. pub. As a, during my day job, I manage commercial risks for you know for large organisations. Um, so I work with senior directors, and if I see risk, then I do a due diligence and you know put a procedure or a process in place. So what makes a good HR professional in a charity is that it's the governance side of it. It's you know when you get that funding in, you have to be ethical that that funding yeah. is going to be spent on what you've. What, what you've applied for the funding, you know, that you've applied for the funding. And especially like for now, the one that, what the charity that we're in, it's safeguarding women. So um, our administration manager, he's trained in NEBOSH. Now he's our health and safety representative. So we, we've made sure we've, we've got a good health and safety induction. Every new staff is inducted. Even Becky, although she's a founder, she had to be inducted. Everybody's got a contract of employment. It's the it's it's done legally and legit, and making sure that the governance is at a high standard, and that what makes a good HR professional, especially in a charity, because that's what we're trained to do: manage risks. And you, so, can, and you, and you, you, can't, you know, you can't wing that, can you? You can't just, you know, you can't wing it. You can't make it argue it. You're talking about legislation. You're talking about stuff that, if you get it wrong, the consequences can be significant. So this is not something that, you know, you can have all the dedication and passion. You could say, oh no, I'll work 125 hours a week for this charity. But if you don't understand the, the, the logistics mm -hmm. and, and, and the actual technicalities of the legislation. No amount of passion yeah, and, and, and right. effort is going to get you there. It's a bit like, you know, you'd be the most passionate person in the world, but if I throw you into an operating theatre and say, do this heart transplant, you, you know, you're <laughs> not going to get very far. It, it, well, this so, is it. So, so, well, so for a, it. I think what we're saying is, for a charity, if you haven't, if, if, if you've got multiple, you know, not just paid members of staff, but if you've got multiple paid members of staff and you have HR issues and you haven't got someone who, you know, ha has it... You know the qualifications or the experience to understand the technicalities in the legislation you're potentially mm -hmm. setting yourself up for a fall aren't you yeah exactly i mean like you know we have to manage but as the board you know we're responsible for the finances you know we have to trust our employees to you know manage the funds so if so if they said they've bought something on the charity card then i want a receipt exactly yeah, no 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 absolutely absolutely yeah i want to see what you bought and you know and like we i always make and we, we meet up on a regular basis and we're always in contact but our field it's it's quite a specialist field so and there is high risk so yeah we do need to make sure that health and safety is always at the top of our agenda we make sure we've got the, everything's minuted um when we apply for funding we make sure the funding is you know used for what we've what we've what we've agreed to be used for so and like i said hr professionals are trained to manage risks so why not have one on your board um, i remember uh, i i know when you're talking about sort of like managing risk and things i remember years ago this wasn't charity sector this was before i went into the charity sector and i worked for a small company and they hired someone um and and it was that it was they'd been winging it for ages and i think they'd sort of like written their employment contract themselves like a few years before yeah. 
And basically they hired someone who was a lovely person, but just like never turned up for work on time. And, you know, and and, and sort of phoned in six or on average three times a week for three different reasons. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you, you know, and, and the, you that's know, not just policy, that's what we need. <laughs> exactly. They're now, of course, not suggesting that someone who phones in six regularly isn't genuinely sick, but it was, it was, <laughs> let's put it this way there was enough evidence there to know that this person was, was it not was a was, it, it, it really was as bad as you know they'd phone in sick and say oh you know I, I've injured my knee getting out of the shower this morning and then you'd look on their yeah. Facebook and there was like a post from 3am of them doing Jägermeister shots things like that <laughs> it, it was that bad but the problem was the person who did, they had one talent which was they certainly knew employment law and Never. so when it came to like disciplinaries and things like that, the organization didn't follow the correct procedures. And they tried basically they tried a year to sack this person and couldn't sack them. Oh because my god, that's e amazing. every time it went to a tribunal, this person knew what they it sort of like went what to, to do. This person oh. was like, Well, you know, I told you I had this problem. Did you offer me any support for that problem? No. Yeah, well, the there, you, there you go. There you go. Then. Yeah, there you go then. That's yeah. right. That oh, you're 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 counting. Yeah. Oh, you're counting that as a warning, are you? Yes. But that was after a written warning, wasn't it? Yes. So that you can't count a verbal warning after a written warning. And it was thing. It was things like that. And she absolutely <laughs> ran rings around the person. And I felt so sorry for the person who was dealing with HR. You know, she ran rings around them. Um, and it was it was a nightmare. But. The problem wasn't really the member of staff who was causing the problem. The problem was mm. they'd created the problem by having um, contracts for terms of employment that were utterly unfit for purpose. They had just exactly. and they probably didn't. May, they may not have had like um, like an absence management policy. That's no, no, they didn't. Because you, you know what? Do you know why? Right. It's because it had never come up. It, they had never okay. had, they'd never had to do a, pro a proper bona fide disciplinary procedure in their time. And so they didn't have a procedure for it. And it was like the contract oh, of employment was basically, you know, be a good worker. Obviously, you know, you <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> but there was, like you say, there was no detailed policy of this is what happens after you pass a certain threshold for absence. This is what happens. Mm -hmm. You will get this. They'd never, you know, there was no verbal warning written and warning failure and, and all that kind of a thing and it, you know, it was it was just basically well, being and good in, and, and they, they so they dug themselves a huge hole and it's because none of them and respectfully none of them knew what they were doing because no. you know, writing yeah. a, a, a document about terms of employment is you know you, you wouldn't buy a house and say i'm not paying solicitors fees i'll buy a con i'll write the contract myself because of course <laughs> You, exactly. you wouldn't do that so why on earth people exactly. think they can get away with not having proper and so what people listening might think would be well oh, yeah I, I wouldn't do that i'm not that silly i'll download one off the internet but it's like no, it, it, no, that no, might no, be no, suitable no, for the person no. who wrote it but it might not be suitable for you no that's that well this is it because i during lockdown we drafted all basically the same this i've given the charity what i would do for a public private voluntary sector in my day job they've got exactly the same no. For the voluntary sector um for brickfield for ashes so we have all the necessary policies and procedures on file everybody has to sign it we've got a code of conduct we've got a code of conduct for the for the women when they enter the refuge um everybody's got a contract of employment job descriptions i've just i've just it's just i've used the same mindset and it's worked yeah. because my team are so there's such a high performing team that it Lead, leading a charity is quite easy because I know they'll get they'll they'll get it done. I don't have yeah. to ask three or four times. 
it's yeah we need to do this and yeah it's done I, I think this, you know what you say, like you've got a really good team, so things are going well. And I think this feeds back to some extent to what I was saying that charities tend to be started amongst, like when it starts off with that one or two volunteers, it's people who are friends and who trust each other and have that deep, close bond. And mm. it's kind of like you think, oh, well, everyone here will take a bullet for the charity. That's great. But of course, what can happen as you get bigger and you take on more and more employees is you get employees who, and there's nothing wrong with this, don't particularly care about the charity. I'm here for the job. I'm here for the money. I'm yeah, here to look exactly. myself. You know, I'll give you a good performance. You know, but you know, so I think as charities get larger, you know, you, you know, you're lucky enough, uh, you know, at, at Beauty for Ashes Refugees to have a great team, like you've said. Uh, but but not every not every employee is brilliant, and that's not to say that. Sorry, let me rephrase that. Not every employee will be as brilliant as you want them to be. They're as good as they need to be, mm. but you have to have, you know, you can't just assume well, when we have three people, it was fine. When you have 300, all 300 are going to be perfect. And so you have to have yeah. the systems in place. Now, I, I don't want to, you know, for, for any listeners who are thinking, oh my God, we've downloaded our um, employment contract off the internet and I don't even know what <laughs> I, I don't even know what an absence policy is. And oh my Lord, if somebody's listening to this and they're thinking, right, okay, yeah, we we need to do something about this. If somebody essentially has no what I would call professional HR infrastructure in their charity at all, what mm -hmm. would you say are the starting points? You know, let's let's assume that they haven't got the resources to go out and hire a fully trained, experienced HR professional to work full time for them. They're going to have to do it themselves. Where what would you say are the, are the basic things you need to get right for HR for a charity? The starting points. The, I think the basic things is, like I said, it's more in terms of the policies and procedures um, and the employment contracts. But I think for me, is I would really recommend that charities try and advertise for a board, a board trustee from HR yeah. experience. Because that's, that's how I've got into the charity myself, really. Because I yeah. saw, when I was in between contracts, I saw an advert for a HR trustee. In Barry, and I was like, oh, I never thought of a HR trustee for a charity. And I said, oh, I'll apply. And I applied for it and I really enjoyed it. And even they saw the benefits of it as well. So, um, so yeah, I think the basic, and the, the, I have a lady where I work now, she's called Vanessa. She's a chartered HR practitioner. She's on a board. And, you know, she's got good problem solving skills as well. And, you know, I really do believe that if, if you advertised for a HR trustee and target for, say, like on Indeed or even on LinkedIn, then I'm sure even just a couple of hours a week, the HR trustee can just help with updating policies and procedures. Because most think, chartered HR practitioners, that's what we do. You know, I think that's. I think you've hit them the the nail on the head there. That you don't need to have loads of money. You know, you don't need to go no. on a load of courses. So get someone in as a trustee who can just steer you and help you, and can sort of be that that sort of voice of understanding on tap. So when something happens and you think, well, I'm the person who takes responsibility for HR issues, you know, and you think. I'm a bit unsure what to do here. You can pick up the phone, let's call him Steve, pick up the phone to Steve and say, Steve, I've got this situation. Can you, and he'll mm. say, yeah, you know, I, I remember when I was, you know, HR at Tesco's or, you know, where, where, wherever yeah, they were HR, you know, we had a similar situation. Um, and that, that if, if for nothing else, having someone who knows what they're talking about to talk to and, and bounce ideas off and just understand a bit better mm. could be just, I mean, I imagine anyone who's listening to this who's had any kind of HR issues, but doesn't have a HR resource to think, if I just had someone who knew what they were talking about to talk to in that situation, 
I'm sure it would yeah. have been a lot easier. Exactly. And like with Beautiful Ashes, I, I've got a subscription for HR Inform, which is part of the CIPD. So I've got access to an employment law line. And I have, I have to use that for my, I, I pay for it myself, but I have to use it for my day job. So the charity has that too as a resource. So if they need, so all the policies I've drafted, you know, I've, I've got it from um, from an actual, you know, CIPD. Everything's all, it's always up to date because I've kept up to date. And then that's, that's as, you know, it's good for the charity. It's good for the, for the board, because obviously for governance, but I do. And that's when it's one of the reasons why I've come on here, Joe, because I really want to encourage more, more chartered HR practitioners to actually join boards. Because we, we are, we're doing, I'm telling you, Joe, we are doing so well um and as well with the with being a HR practitioner on a board on a charity board we get access to a whole new network of people yeah I want to I just want to explain a story of, um of what's happened over the last say about last six months yeah so so basically I was I was speaking to the to the board of trustees and I was saying like, you know what I think we should be able to get an international sponsor they were like, how are you going to do that, Karina? I don't know, but I think I'm going to be able to do it. So anyway, so most HR professionals, we, you know, we're on LinkedIn and I'm on LinkedIn too. And that's that's my brain, basically. That's where I keep all my information, all my projects, what I'm doing. And um, it was in November 22, I got, 2022, I got a random message via LinkedIn from a lady called John, um, John Sky. Um, she asked if she'd connect with me. So Jan, she's a professional who lives in Australia. I've just got about 30 years of experience in training and coaching. Um, and Jan created Brain Potential. Um, she's a graduate of Applied Neuroscience. And um, so then she asked if she could connect with me. So I was like, all right, so I connected with her. And then we arranged a Zoom call and she was talking about her ebook, which is about brain potential. And it's just about how you can use neuroscience to enhance behaviors and changes within the workplace. And um, so then when we when we got talking and she was saying she wanted to crack the UK market. So I explained to Jan about the charity and that we're looking for a private sponsor um, to help build up our unreserved funds. So I said, well, how much experience have you got in like HR training and coaching? And she said, I've got like 30 years. Well, I said, I've got 23 years. So we're like, well, together we've got 53 years. That's a lot of years, Joe, <laughs> of experience. So, um, so yeah, so I'm working with Jan and also Dr. Dawn, um, um, Dr. Dawn McIntyre. She holds a PhD in public health in senior behavioural scientists for both government and non-government roles in Australia. Yeah. So together, we're working on a course to be delivered online to the UK market to upskill registered professionals. And for every course we market for, um, we market, then the charity will get a commission from that from that sale. Oh, brilliant. So I've got my first international, all the way from Australia, and that's purely because... I'm on a board of I'm on the board, but also because I've got a network of people that I've built over my career, and just seeking opportunities. Oh, um, do, 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 you know, getting on a board is such a good thing to do. I know so many people who you know who I've known them when they've done their first board position, and I can honestly say 
the only people I've ever known who have gone joined a charity board and then and then moved away and then gone away from it are people who never really had time for it in the first place. You know, if, if, you, if, yeah. you, if you go all dabble with it, it turns out, oh, you know what? It was it was a bad idea because I just don't have the time. Well, then it's not for you. But anyone who's actually done it and got involved with it has found it not only such an enriching experience personally in terms of helping people and doing good things. But yeah, it, you're right. It opens so many doors to experience meeting new people. Uh, you know, oh, and, and I, think, yeah. I think I think a lot of people who have never uh, you know been on, on on a board for a charity have two misconceptions. One, what what is what is actually like and how involved you yeah. can and how like enriching and empowering it can be. And two, I think this is a really important one. But you you've got to be some really big important person to go on a chat. Like no, you know I. I'm I'm just a lowly average person who's a HR professional or an accountant or something like I'm just an average person. Yeah. You, know, you know, a board yeah. surely wants people who are really senior and they want they want people nope. like OBE after their name and stuff like. And it's and that's not what it's about. You know, charity no, are regular folk with regular experience. What they're saying is, as a charity, we don't have you know a professional accountant we don't have a hr professional we don't have anyone who's got you know professional standards in health and safety together yeah. collectively bring us your knowledge and experience and as a, as a, as an individual unit that will then make us so much stronger do you know and, yes. and that you know so it's i think it's if you're listening to this and you're thinking you've got and, and you've got anything you think you can offer a charity what is what is the entry requirements to be a, a charity trustee question 1 do you think you can offer something yes you have fulfilled. <laughs> you have fulfilled the entry requirements to potentially be a charity trustee. Exactly. exactly, and you know as well when I do my trustee work, you know sometimes like on a Saturday I might just go into a nice little cafe bar and get myself a coffee and just crack on with my work. And it's yeah. it's, it's, it's it's very I, I actually every minute I've, I'm so fulfilled. I really do enjoy it because it's making a difference. And you know I don't I don't I don't be beat for ashes. If I hadn't put that time in, I don't think we would have got to this this stage because it'd be too much work for Becky to do. She would have just said, this is not even worth it. Um, but by, by me being on the board, I've been able to take a big chunk of, of work away and just crack yeah. on with it. I'm doing it in my day-to-day -day job anyway. So it's, yeah. I've been doing it for 23 years. So it's, it's not strenuous. It's not hard work. It's just, yeah. you know, and... Um, and we, you know, together we look at the we look at the funding together. I mean, I I do procurement um for you know for public and private, so I've just used my skills. Of, right, if I do a cleaning tender, then I've just used them same skills to do a bid. Yeah, yeah. I've just transferred the skills really. <laughs> so yeah, like, exactly, exactly. So, yeah, there's there's a lot of commonality between those two things, no doubt about it. Karine, Karine, I want to thank you so much for everything you offered here today, and, and I hope that just you know, if one person listening to this thinks, you know what, I'm I'm going to go out and have a look at being a trustee, or if one charity listening to this who's been struggling with HR thinks. Crikey, why have we not got a HR professional on our board? Let's go out and get someone. If just one person does that, well, that's achieved something. But I know that so many more could do it. So many more HR people could join boards and so many charities could go out and source HR. And without, you know, without starting up a whole different conversation, that of course applies to all sorts of, you know, skills. You know, you might be thinking, oh, we've got mm -hmm. a really good HR professional on our board, but we, do, we, we struggle with the money. So go and get an accountant on your board. And you know, th these are all the things you can do, you know, to bring in that knowledge to your board. Kareen, I'd love to give a shout out one more time to the charity that you're supporting uh, uh beauty for ashes so would you just like to point us in the direction of where somebody who wants to find out more about your charity can go 
Yeah, well, we're on the we're um we're on the internet. We've got the website, so beautycarashesrefuges.org. Um, and but what I would what I would like to say, Joe, is is that if anybody is interested in appointing a HR trustee, then I will give a free one hour consultation. Um, so if anybody can give me a call, either connect me on LinkedIn or you know get in contact with me, and I'm more than happy to guide them of how to appoint a HR trustee. Um, you know how you can get how you can search on Indeed and LinkedIn. Um, so yeah, so if anybody wants wants help, then get in touch. And I'm more well, what, what I'll do then is come in. If it's right with you, I'll put a link. I'll put a link to you. I'll put a link to your LinkedIn page in the by in the sort of the, the information for this episode. So if you're listening to that and you're interested, you should be able to see Corinne's LinkedIn page details um, and yeah. the episode details. Connect, send her a message, and take it from there. What a kind of take it from there, and I will guide them. And if you need any help, I'm always there. <laughs> oh, great stuff. Great stuff. Kareen, thank you once again for coming along today. It's been my absolute pleasure to talk to you. Um, and I wish you all the best, with, uh, both in your, just your general HR work and also the work you do with Beauty for Ashes. Thanks again. Oh, thank you. Well, there you have it. I thought that was some really, really fascinating insights into the world of HR from a third sector and charity point of view. And I want to offer my thanks once again to Kareen for being such an excellent guest. I think the key takeaway for me there was that you don't need to be a big charity with loads of employees and volunteers or even big staff budgets to be able to get someone to come and help you with HR. And having someone there, perhaps as a trustee, just to offer a bit of advice here and there can make a world of difference. This has been Third Sector Success 101. I've been your host, Joe Green, and it's been my absolute pleasure to have you along as a listener today. You can find out more about Third Sector Network and how we can support your charity at our website, www.thirdsectornetwork.co.uk, or find us on social media, LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, at My Third Sector. Any shout outs on social media about the podcast, well, they'd be gratefully received. Best of luck with your endeavors in the future.